The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women of Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jerry McCarthy74. On this week's show, our VIP guest is Munster Hockey Club Church of Ireland captain Alex O'Grady, who spoke to me about the club's recent big victory in the Irish Senior Cup and much, much more. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews every game from round 7 of AFLW season 7.0, how the Irish players fared, and update on all those injured Irish players and when they are likely to return. Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie is back on the big red bench to review all the on and off track headlines from an incident-packed Japanese Grand Prix, a two-time world champion in Max Verstappen, and what's next for the W Series. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan returns to the Big Red Bench to discuss a wide range of rugby topics, including a newly revamped Munster Women's League. EchoLive.ie columnist Linda Mellerick reviews the SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Championship semi-finals. Plus, I have all the aftermatch reaction and interviews from two absolutely cracking games in Owens. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I was delighted to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench by our special VIP guest, Munster Hockey Club's Church of Ireland captain, Alex O'Grady. Church of Ireland caused a huge shock in the Irish Women's Senior Cup last weekend by defeating Ballymoney on shuttles following a 3-3 draw. Alex details what that terrific performance and result means for her club, discusses the current healthy state of Munster women's hockey at club and interprovincial level, and much, much more. Now on the Big Red Bench, we are delighted to be joined by Church of Ireland women's hockey captain, Alex O'Grady, following her club's fantastic victory in the Irish Senior Cup last weekend. And we've got Alex on to talk about that and a lot more. Alex, you're very, very welcome to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to for you to give up your your time to speak to us. So we really appreciate it. Let Let's start with that Irish Senior Cup victory, uh, because it was quite the game in Gary Gluff last weekend against Ballymoney. Tell us how uh, how that actually how that game went and how it ended. I suppose more than anything. Um, started off a bit slow. I have to say, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It wasn't our warm up. I don't know what it was. It was uh, we didn't even know had we showed up for the game um, in the second quarter. Then I think. We started picking up and that's when the game actually begun. We got a bit more physical, a bit more aggressive and tried to, I suppose, come up to the standard that Bally Money were playing us against, or playing against us. So, um, yeah, it was a great fight. Yeah, it sounds like an exciting game because it finished 3-3, isn't that correct? Finished 3-3 and they scored the first goal in the first like five minutes, I'd say. Okay, so yeah. it was it was an up it was an uphill battle because the kind of team you were the club you were up against and the quality uh, of Ballymoney. I mean, uh, for those who don't know in, in hockey circles, this was this was a, a tie, an Irish Senior Cup tie. With respect, I don't know if CFI would have been favourites necessarily going into it, but to go to three three and then to go to the dreaded shuttles at that point, what were you thinking? Um, had we practiced some Thursday <laughs> training, it would have been a bit more promising, but or we would have been a bit more confident, I think, but. Uh, no, we, we showed up, we did our penalties and um, we won. And um, I think it was a surprise to all of us, to be honest. Yes, um, a lovely boost though, Alex, for the club and for yeah. yourselves. Absolutely, because we have a lot of underage players on our team. Um, a lot of our, I suppose, more experienced players um, left us this year. Mm. Onwards and upwards, I guess, with other ventures. So we had to hire a few more underage girls who are all on the interprovincial kind of under 16 and under 18 teams. So in fairness, they stepped up to the mark, showed their maturity levels and 
got on with the game. Um, from somebody who's a captain of a Munster, a well-established club and a very, very well-regarded club like C of I in terms of Munster hockey, in terms of women's hockey nationally, are you seeing more and more of that, not just with your own club, but a lot of younger players starting to come into the senior teams around uh, the actual divisions? Absolutely, yeah. Like, we're, we're, the, we're the elders of the teams at the moment now and I wouldn't even classify myself as old. So, um, like, there's endless amounts of girls trying to get onto the women's senior teams in Gardaí at the moment. Um, there's waiting lists all around all the local clubs. Um, I think it's a bit more, it's being introduced more into schools and everything, so I think the interest is there. It's, uh, it's not just... It's not just a boys' sport. It's there for it's there for all the girls. It's there for everyone, and it's encouraged. Yes, and very well said. Um, as well as that, Alex, is it fair to say that the Irish international women's hockey team, anytime they're on television, anytime they're featured in national newspapers and local newspapers, that that's helping get the message out there. And it seems to be, as you said correctly, in the schools, it's real interest seems to be starting to pick up, not just in the city, but outside Cork, but outside of it as well. Yeah, and even the in, within schools, I've only realised or learned recently that there's a lot of a lot more strength and conditioning programs mm. within schools for the girls um, so that the games that they're playing are a lot more intense. They're a lot more professional as well um, compared to when we started in school. It was just a hobby. Um, now it's becoming a bit more of a, a bit more of a passion, I think as well. So um, yeah. There also seems to be a much better pathway for young girls coming into the game now insofar as you can get established at your club like you said strength and conditioning programs that might never have been there but also you would have seen because you would have been involved yourself at interprovincial level and underage level how well that has improved over recent years and that there's a pathway for a player to start and get into their club if they're good enough they can make it onto their provincial team and from there they can be seen and potentially get into an international setup. Absolutely yeah um, I think because because Munster is developing quickly with hockey um, it's giving those in the Ulster League and the Leinster League. It's giving how do I say it? It's giving the Munster girls more of more of a drive to get into that team. Mm. Like there's more of because we're being strength and conditioned down here, and the standard of hockey has lifted within the underage. I'm only seeing it in the last couple of years. Um, it's giving us a good good bit more of a chance to get on those international teams. Um, like a couple of years ago, and we were doing it. If we were up at the training sessions, it would have been maybe five Munster girls and there could have been 20 Ulster girls 40 Leinster girls mm. so you wouldn't really have a look in whereas now I think now I think there's a there's competition there now so it's good and you mentioned something there as a player and as a captain you've seen the increase in the quality of hockey being played at adult level over the last couple of years is that fair to say yeah absolutely yeah the the drive from the younger girls is something else they're they're strong they're fit they're quick um, the whole game has changed in the last, I'd say, 10 years. Um, and, yeah. and for the better, yeah, for, and for, clearly for the better from it, from your own results. Because if you're, if Church of Ireland women are doing as well as you have done in the Irish Senior Cup, which is the most prestigious cup, um, the fact that you've gotten over the first round, you now have, uh, you're into round three, sorry, and you're going to be facing an away fixture no matter who it is, but it's Banbridge or Avoca, and that's more than likely on the 5th of November. And I know it's a while away, and I know you've got other things in your mind between here and then, but is there a preference there for one of those uh, yeah. in terms of an opponent or even a trip? I think for obvious reasons, we're going to say we hope Avoca win. <laughs> um, literally only for the travelling. Um, either way, whoever wins, we actually have, I don't have any idea what either team is like. We don't, we haven't played them. Um, we may have played Bambridge last year or the year before, but 
every team's changing. Um, like our team has completely changed. So I couldn't, I couldn't say who we'd favour just for the travel. I think we'd go for Avoca. <laughs> Fair point in a lovely part of the country. Not that Banbridge isn't tighter, but, no. is, but I understand your, your reasoning. And it's interesting that you say that it sounds like as the captain and as, as an evolving and a transitioning team at adult level, um, you've really only got to focus on yourselves. So how important is your, your coaching, your coaching staff and the coaches and your managers to you at this point in your development? Because it's clear you're transitioning with a lot of young players coming through. Um, quite crucial. Um, our trainings in the next two weeks or three weeks, well, two weeks, I'm thinking of the Ashton game that we have. That's on my brain at the moment. But um, for that Irish Senior Cup game in a couple of weeks' time, training is going to be crucial. Like our fitness, that's going to be probably pushed on another level. And then our actual training tactics and everything during our technical sessions, I suppose. Um I suppose they'll be quite thorough so that everyone understands and knows what they're doing when you go up there on the day. Excellent stuff. Away from the Irish Senior Cup, and as you said, you've got some uh, matches to think about between here and then. You've won three out of three, but one of the results that sprung out, out of the out of the pages to me was the win over Harlequins. Um, is it a case of momentum, Alex, from the first win that you were able to take those into the next two games and those young players, as you said, giving the injection of youth and look you know, not fearing the opposition maybe as much. I'm not suggesting you did in the past, but the fact that you've won three out of three shows me that even at this early stage of the year, that C of I are a serious team and that the momentum that you're building to beat Harlequins, um, especially like things are going quite well, both on and off the pitch. Um, Against Harlequins, I think everyone was shocked about that uh, result, to be honest, even ourselves. We showed up extremely relaxed. Um, I think, again, we went in as the underdogs and I think nearly being the underdog is the drive that brings us forward. Um, we go out with nothing to lose. Um, we're hard workers. And then when we start seeing the results and things working, it pays off. Um, and I think that's literally, I, I, we have, we have no other, we have no other team talks that, uh, or any pointers that have driven us on. Cause we don't start from as soon as the whistle begin or as soon as the whistle blows, we don't start straight away. It takes us. It takes us uh, a few minutes to get ourselves going, but um, I think it's just. I think it's just the drive and the passion that we just. We're here to win, so. Um I think that's mainly it. Yeah, and it's it's well, it's clearly sh- you're being you're being very modest about it. I mean, you, it's clearly shining through because you don't win three out of three, especially in the competitive nature of the early weeks of a season when teams, as you said, have gone through their preseason and they're still fi- finding things out. But the fact that you took, you know, you beat Harlequin, such an established Harlequin teams, Ashton are up next. Now that's never, he said, cliche alert, an easy game, I would imagine, at this particular level for you and something you'll have to be refocused on again. But again, momentum coming into it. Why not? You've nothing to fear here and you've been doing so well so far. Uh, why not have a go? Uh, nothing to fear except we have a we have a gap this weekend of no matches. So that's probably something that might stand to us next week. Um, now we have said in our to our team that the trainings are crucial. So attendance is key. And if you're not there, I don't know what we're going to do. But um, that game against Ashton, they're always tough. They were tough last year. We beat mm. them by, I'd say, a goal in the last seven minutes or something. It was a truck and trailer game. Um, so I'm looking forward to this year again because I don't know who they've lost or what they've gained and they don't know who we've lost and what we've gained either. So um, it's going to be a real battle, I think, again, as always. So, um, yeah, I think the Munster, the Munster League is really, it's really changing. It's really, um, it's never the same, mm. which is good. Brings well, variety. 
I don't think I don't think you've heard a better promo for it so far. So you've certainly done a, a lot there to help promote that upcoming match. And just finally, from your own point of view, uh, on a personal level, you're clearly enjoying your hockey. Uh, being captain of this team obviously sits easily on your shoulders. I know there's responsibility that comes with it away on match days and things like that. But you're clearly um, looking forward to it and enjoying it thus far. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, and I'm enjoying it loads so far. The younger girls are great. They're great crack. There's great banter within the team. And um, yeah, we all, we're all sharing the same passion. We're all sharing the same want and stuff. So um, yeah, I have nothing. I have no faults against them. We're, we're here to win anyway. So I'm, I'm hoping I'll be able to say at the end of the season that we uh, did what we had to do and um, come out with the results we want. Well, if the early season results are any indicators, then are going to enjoy a very, very productive campaign, hopefully both at Irish Senior Cup and at Munster level. Uh, to Alex O'Grady, thank you very much for joining us on the Big Red Bench and we'll hopefully catch up to you again before the season concludes. Perfect. Thank you very much. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to review every single game from Round 7's AFLW season 7.0. We also have every Irish player's involvement detailed, plus updates on all those Irish players who are currently injured and when they are expected back. And we have all the latest AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year season standings following round seven. Now, back here on the Big Red Bench, we are delighted to welcome our resident AFLW Ireland coach and AFLW expert, and that is Mike Curran, to go back over round seven of uh, season 7.0 in AFLW Down Under. Uh, Mike Curran, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Very good, Jerry. Thanks. Great to be back again. It is another week gone by and another round to uh, to decipher, to analyse. So let's get straight to it. And last Friday, two matches on the uh, 7th of October, beginning with St Kilda and Carlton. And the Blues won this one 44-17. They're back uh, in finals contention. Uh, they moved up to ninth in the ladder after a slow start to their season. But uh, for Clara Fitzpatrick and Grace Kelly St Kilda, they could have little complaint with the outcome, Mike. Yeah, look, at it was Carlton from start to finish in this one. No goal at all for St. Kilda until the final quarter, which was testament to a brilliant Carlton defensive setup. We even saw their star forward, Darcy Vessio, back in defence there at various stages, and she ended up with 10 intercept possessions. So we might see her featuring in a new position a bit going forward. But yes, Carlton, two wins in a row now. They're knocking on the finals positions there. Their season is starting to turn around. Um, Clara Fitz was the only Irish player in action this weekend, and we had another good hit out from her and she was particularly impressive in the rook with five hit outs there and we're patiently waiting the return of Grace Kelly which hopefully hopefully we get to see her in action over the next few weeks she's still coming back from that Achilles injury so um, hopefully there's some progress on that she's down as to be confirmed on the injury list so uh, we're not sure how soon we might see her back in action Good stuff. Well, at least it's progress and hopefully, as you said, we'll see her sooner rather than later. As well, uh, last Friday night, there was another game. Richmond uh, travelling to the West Coast Eagles and winning 43-24. The Informed Tigers made it five wins in a row, Mike, and moved up to sixth in the ladder. But it took a couple of late goals to get that done. It did, yeah. They're on a bit of a hot streak. They're getting close, closer to appearing in finals for their first time ever. This will be their fourth season, their first time in the final shakeup. So that's uh, potentially exciting for them. Um, they've now beaten the Eagles every season so far uh, across all the times they've met and that's three games in total a 19 point win in the end but again it was only in the last five minutes that they put the Eagles away so they're used to cliffhanger games across the last few weeks and they're winning all of those tight encounters and a brilliant run of five in a row but ironically West Coast seem to be improving they're getting better on the field but the results just aren't falling their way like this is their fifth loss now in six games 
Um, so the results aren't coming for them, but they did dominate the third quarter, including some brilliant clearance work. And most of that was as a result of and by Ashley McCarthy, uh, but it wasn't enough in the end. But yeah, Ashley McCarthy was brilliant again for the Eagles. Uh, she was named amongst the best on ground, as she is most weeks at this stage. 16 disposals after all, and four tackles and brilliant work around the clearance in that third quarter, her highlights for the game. Yeah, National McCarthy, somebody we're going to be talking about uh, in, a, in a little while in the overall standings for the AFLW Irish Player of the Year because she has been mis, uh, misconsistency, let's call her, throughout the season so far. And it's good, good to hear that she's still doing that even in defeat. On to Saturday, 8th of October, and the first of four matches, um, the Gold Coast Suns travelling to the Sydney Swans, winning by 34 points, staying within touching distance of the top eight, Mike. Uh, a convincing victory over the Swans at Sydney's Henson Park, despite uh, pretty nasty weather conditions. It was. Look, it was the Suns that shone on a rainy day up in Henson Park. They took charge over the Swans from the start and throughout. So we mentioned last week that the Swans are looking for their first win. They still are searching for that first win. And as you mentioned, the Gold Coast keep their hopes of making finals alive. In fairness, the Swans fought hard from the start and brought the pressure. They actually won the, t- the tackle count for the match, but it was the speed of the Suns and their cleanness around the stoppages that kept them in front route. Uh, the game was probably notable for impressive performances by the last two number one draft picks from the last two drafts across the last two seasons, and that, they were Charlie Robottom for Gold Coast and Montana Ham for Sydney. So brilliant to see the young talent shining through in these games. It certainly is, and a good win, as you just said. Um, on to another uh, big win, this time for the reigning premiers. Ashton Considine and Neve Kelly's Adelaide Crows winning by 18 points, 49-31 at home to Frio. Um, and they remain one of the franchises at the summit of the AFLW season 7.0 ladder. It took a comeback victory, though, because uh, plucky Orla Lally, Anya Tighe, and Amy Mulholland's Fremantle put up a real battle, didn't they, Mike? They were brilliant. In fairness, they were. And, and they were in front all the way to three-quarter time played brilliantly throughout but it was a big last quarter from the Crows we see it time and time again from these top two or three teams a big last quarter four goals and that was the difference in the end and they held the Docker scoreless in that final quarter it's six in a row now for, for the Crows the Dockers are just a bit unlucky. You have to feel like just when they turn their season around with a draw and a win, they've come up against Melbourne, the Crows, and next weekend I think they've got Collingwood coming. So three of the top teams in a row, and they continue to have to play through injuries. They lost Gabby O'Sullivan and Janelle Curtison, two key players in the first half in this game, which probably impacted a little bit. The midfielders were brilliant for both teams here. The usual Anne Hatcher and Ebony Marinhoff, masterclass from Adelaide, but also Kiara Bowers was brilliant for the Dockers in the middle. And in terms terms of the Irish then uh, we'd no crows on show but positive to see um, Neve Kelly named in the emergencies so she's definitely um, closer to coming back into the squad and hopefully Ailish to follow shortly as well but for the Dockers the three Irish players performing and very well Anya Tai was brilliant amongst the best on ground she was everywhere she had 12 disposals she had marks tackles clearances hit out in the ruck the whole works and there was nothing she didn't do and Orla Lally again was very good um, her marking is a feature of her game we have a brilliant image of her taking a serious mark in that match and Amy Mulholland actually played very well as well with seven disposals and two tackles so uh, good performances all around for the Irish Dockers but not a win unfortunately No not a win but the Adelaide Crows remain joint top of the ladder after seven rounds alongside the Brisbane Lions Melbourne and Collingwood on 24 points and looking very very good for the end of season let's hope their Irish contingent are fit enough to get in at the business end when they uh, will be most needed on to Saturday and probably one of the best games of the weekend uh, Kangaroos and Brisbane Lions the Lions winning by 7 33-26 Oro Dwyer's top of the ladder Brisbane were pushed all the way though 
up by Eric O'Shea and Vicky Wise Kangaroos, as I said, emerging 33-26 winners to keep up their hopes of a top two finish. They were, look, the lines were noses in front in this one throughout the game, but it really was a close and a tough encounter. I mentioned last week after the North win over the Swans that the one thing they'd probably look at was their inaccuracy, and it's come back to haunt them again this week, unfortunately. Uh, three goals from 11 scoring shots, so they had eight behinds, whereas the Lions only had eight scoring shots in total. So the, the gap is definitely closing between North and these top teams. There's never much in it, but they're really going to want to fine-tune their shooting radar to keep with the top teams as the season goes forward, and I'm sure that's something they'll work on. They actually dominated in patches again, but Brisbane were just more efficient when they had the ball. The midfield battle was intriguing throughout this one. You've probably two of the best centre combinations in the whole competition. Emma Carney, Jazzy Garner, and Jenna Bruton for North up against Emily Bates, Ali Anderson, Cathy Spark for the Lions. An absolute contest. And then throw in Orla Dwyer out in the, the wing to the mix and you, you've got an all-star lineup. And Orla was brilliant again. 14 disposals, four tackles, four centre clearances for the Lions. And in fairness, on the other side, uh, Vicky Wall is another player who's playing consistently brilliant she got another goal this week uh, 10 disposals 4 marks as well and her goal actually was from a brilliant mark um, on the edge of a square as well and Eric O'Shea um, had 7 disposals in this game 4 tackles but I was talking to her today actually and she uh, is exhausted after the weekend this was a bruising battle uh, of two very top teams and what's not to say that they won't meet each other again when we get to the business end of the season Oh I certainly wouldn't complain if we got a chance to see that again because they are two very very well matched teams Brisbane's experience as you said I think proving the deciding factor always having enough to stay ahead of, but the kangaroos are coming uh, if not this season definitely next season you can see that already um, but a good win for Brisbane keeps them top as we said uh, with the best points difference as well at the moment and looking good for a top two finish onto the final game on Saturday and uh, a good a good day for Anya McDonough and the Hawthorne Hawks beating Port Adelaide 29-16 a morale boosting third victory of the season for Hawthorne at the expense of the struggling Port at Skybus Stadium um, Hawthorne are now just four points off the top eight, Mike, and uh, you, I know you're going to talk about Arnie McDonough, but is it is is it is it within the realms of possibility that it could squeeze their way into contention here? Look, at this stage, anything's possible. You know, while they're on Hawthorne are on, they're three wins in a row after losing their first four games of the season. They've really hit a run of form. Um, everyone is enjoying it. They're the fans' favourites. Like, the energy they're bringing on and off the pitch, they're proving very popular with footy fans. And they're doing it in style. And look at, again, they had a slow enough start in this game, but now they've gone three in a row. Um it's another game where a team will rule its inaccuracy. In fairness, Port Adelaide kicked one goal and 10 behinds. Um, so they'll not be impressed with that statistic. But um, two of Hawthorne's wins have been against the other expansion teams in Sydney mm. and Port Adelaide. So they're definitely proving to be amongst the best of the new teams of the season. If they made it in and around finals contention or the final series, that would be a fairy tale for them, I think. And who would begrudge to see them there? But look, at again, this is all despite a slow enough start. Every game, they start the game slowly. Port actually kicked the first five scores of the match, albeit most of those were uh, behinds, thankfully. But if Hawthorne can start out their slow starts, uh, that'll take their game on to another level. But you mentioned Anya McDonough. This was a breakout game for Anya McDonough. She was absolutely brilliant. Uh, she scored another brilliant goal, which was a link-up from Aileen Gilroy, um, sending the ball in from midfield. Uh, she had five marks, two tackles. She was winning hit-outs in the rucks. She was all over the place. So absolutely delighted for Anya to have a brilliant personal performance there and get the win and of course we mentioned Gilly Ellen Gilroy again who's the engine room here for Hawthorne now she's she's amongst the coaches votes again this weekend in the Champion Player of the Year award 
um, 12 disposals, four clearances from the centres, marks, tackles galore. Uh, so yeah, look at Hawthorne are flying and everybody's loving it. Yeah, and they are one of the real feel-good uh, stories, as you said, after such a disappointing start. They really have kicked on, but it will, it will, time will tell to we'll see where they end up uh, between now and the next three rounds at the end of the season. But all signs point to very positive uh, next year, second season for the Hawks, and certainly a franchise to keep your, an eye on. You are listening to the Big Red Benches Women in Sport podcast with me, your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and we're joined, as ever, each week by our AFLW Ireland coach and AFLW expert, Mike Curran. We're currently running down round seven of AFLW season 7.0, and we're on to Sunday and some uh, some cracking matches there as well. We begin on that Sunday with Essendon, uh, the uh, Essendon edging. Excuse me, sorry, Geelong Cats uh, edging Essendon. Uh, for Manage Joanne Doonan, uh, showing up quite well in this game, Mike, but she couldn't stop uh, Essendon from going down to Rachel Kearns Cats. No, and look at this was very close. Uh, it was a battle. It was even at quarter time. It was even at three quarter time, and it took two goals from Chloe Shear for Geelong in the final quarter to prove the difference. This game was played out in. Country Victoria in Warrnambool. It's a great town. It's a great atmosphere. I was there myself for a game many years ago and I ended up in a sing-song <laughs> in an Irish pub with the Big Dipper, the Hawthorne legend. Oh That's God. the story for another night. I, I Dippier Domenico? Yes, Robert Oh Dipper my Dominico, God. Yeah. I want to hear that story. At some stage, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, but um, they are footy mad down there so there's a great atmosphere at this game and in fairness, Essendon will be a little bit unlucky. They dominated the centre. Maddie Perspakis, who's on fire for them this year, had a career high, 37 disposals in the middle. But we've talked about it from the start of the season, that notoriously stingy Geelong defence just makes scoring really difficult. Mm. Um, so they got over the line for, for the win. Uh, Joanne Doonan was the only Irish player on show um, on the night and another solid performance for her. And hopefully we might see, as we touched on last week, Rachel Kearns back across the last couple of rounds of the season as well, potentially. So that's something to look forward to. Indeed it is. We move on now to a huge win for the Melbourne Demons, a 64-point defeat uh, of the Western Bulldogs, 73-9. Sinead Goldrick and Blind Mackens Demons uh, getting that big win over the Bulldogs and keeping them uh, on 24 points at the joint top of the ladder. Uh, a real statement of intent here from Melbourne Mike it definitely was look there was a trophy up for grabs here it was the Hampson Hardiman Cup it's their traditional cup awarded for this fixture every year going back right back to the original exhibition game about 8 or 9 years ago but it was Melbourne who dominated the dogs from start to finish at Casey Fields to, to go out to a 64 point win that's strengthening their hold on their finals positions uh, the Bulldogs finals chance is now looking a bit shakier and they've lost their last 3 games after putting in uh, an early season win streak so it just goes to show how it changes from week to week. Everyone was on top for Melbourne across the field. Taylor Harris was brilliant up front, their star forward. She's another contender for Mark of the Year, a competition that she's been a finalist in now for a, a remarkable five seasons. So we know how good she is as an elite contested Mark. But even uh, Goldie, Sinead Goldick was brilliant, continuously chopping off Bulldogs attacks. She ended up with six intercepts marks across the game and she was named amongst the best in ground and again Blind Mackie now fitting seamlessly into one of the top teams in the league another solid game from her seven disposals two marks two tackles uh, but Melbourne looking seriously impressive with a big statement win Indeed they are and our final game of round seven to look at uh, was between Collingwood and the Greater Western Sydney Giants and it was a big win for the Magpies 46-14 Mayo Sarah Rowe grabbing a goal as Collingwood kept Coruscant and Breed Stacks joined scoreless for three quarters Mike before going on to win as I said by 32 points uh, real disappointment for the Giants but a seriously good performance once again uh, from Collingwood 
seriously good from Collingwood. Look, this was an even first quarter, but in the second quarter and from then on, Collingwood really exploded. They kicked eight scores in the second quarter, but seven of those were behinds. So Giants were scoreless at half time, but it could have been a lot worse if, if Collingwood had a bit, a bit more accurate in that first half uh, for definite. But yeah, the Giants not registering a goal until they got two in the final quarter. Collingwood needed to win to stay in the top four, and that they did. Uh, they had a huge, tough defensive performance. They didn't give the Giants an inch throughout just to show there was only four inside 50s for the Giants for the entire game. So that effectively, effectively meant Coruscant was starved of, the game, or starved of the ball up front for the whole game. But six wins now for the Collingwood, and this is their biggest win of the season for them. Um, Giants struggled again. You, you don't like to see it. This is another big loss. Um, Back-ending one they had two weeks ago. So... They, they backed up the last big loss with a win. Hopefully, they'll back up this one with a win um, next weekend. And I think they might have Hawthorne coming up to Sydney. So, that'll be a game both those teams will want to win as well. But yeah, uh, another big win for Collingwood. Sierra Rowe probably had her best game of the season so far. So, it's great to see her coming into her usual form. I think her goal last round kind of kickstarts her season a bit. She got another mm. goal here. Um, she was very busy, four marks, five tackles, 11 disposals, named amongst the best on ground for Collingwood for the first time this year. So she's coming into a rich vein of form. Uh, but yeah, a tough night at the office for Cora, Staunton and Breed Stack. And hopefully the other Irish magpie, Ashley Sheridan, is back on the training pitch. And hopefully we'll see her return to action across the next couple of rounds as well. Indeed, we hope that uh, that that comes to fruition. Uh, so that's the roundup for round seven and the ladder, the FLW ladder, looks like this: Brisbane and Adelaide, and Melbourne and Collingwood all on twenty-four points. Geelong and Richmond on twenty points in fifth and sixth, and then seventh, eighth, and ninth: North Melbourne, Gold Coast, and the Western Bulldogs just outside the top eight, all on sixteen points, and then just behind them, Carlton and Hawthorne uh, on twelve apiece. It was an interesting week in round seven for the AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings, Mike, where Sarah. Row finished top on 69 points. Yeah, look at it. As I say, a, a brilliant round for Sarah. Back to her usual self. Uh, she's won this competition twice before the Irish Player of the Year. It's her first time featuring in the top six um, in a round this year at all. And she's taken out the Irish Player of the Round for round seven. So brilliant to see her back. Uh, followed up very closely this week by Anya McDonough, who we mentioned earlier was brilliant. And then you've got the usual crew, as I call them at this stage, Ash Mack, Anya Tai, Ordo Dwyer and, and Aileen Gilroy, um, consistently making the top six every week and impressing round after round. Indeed, and that's borne out by the overall standings where Ashley McCarthy leads uh, 490 points from Aileen Gilroy and 415 in Anya, as you said, on 370 alongside Orla Dwyer on 370. And then, of course, Vicky Wall and Cora Staunton filling out that top six. But it's going to be very, very interesting between now and the end of the season for that overall player of the year because there's not much in it, Mike. There isn't. Uh, the six names stayed the same from last week, but the points have tightened up a mm. bit. Uh, we see Anya Tyne or Dwyer level, but also the interesting thing here is knocking right on the bottom of the six. Eric O'Shea is just thereabouts, and now Sarah Rowe is coming with a, a rich run of form as well. So they're going to be aiming to get into that across the next couple of weeks. So um, I think we know who the favourite is to take it out if all things go well throughout the rest of the season but there could be a few names appearing in there as well so uh, the excitement will be maintained in the Irish Day of the Year across the next three rounds and then we'll know after round 10 Excellent the stuff indeed we will and we'll keep a close eye on that uh, every week as we do every week here with Mike Curran AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran and Coach the Stars here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast for now following the end of round 7 and uh, we'll be back again next week to go through round 8 Mike Curran thank you very very much for your time Thanks, Jerry. Speak to you again. Missed the show? 
Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Cork's Red FM's resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, is back on the Big Red Bench for her weekly Formula One segment. Sarah has a detailed review of an incident-packed Japanese Grand Prix, how Max Verstappen became F1 champion for a second consecutive time, the horrific weather conditions that made it a GP to forget for most, and the FIA and Sky Sports reaction to Pierre Gasly's on-track close call with a tractor. Plus, there's news of the W Series calling into a premature halt for its season, with Jamie Chadwick once again crowned champion. Now, this week's Big Red Bench Formula 1 segment uh, includes news of a new world champion, a tractor, and uh, some disappointing news about the W Series, or maybe not. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, there's only one place to start, and with our resident F1 expert, Sarah McKenzie, back with us. Sarah, you're very welcome back. Max Verstappen is world champion. He is, yeah. And like I will start by saying fully well-deserved. Mm. Um, I think he has been... He's been almost unbeatable this season, and I think has you know responded to every challenge that was put to him. And that's not easy and to win a championship with so many races remaining it has to be said is pretty impressive um so yeah hats off to him and and uh, and red bull for making that happen um i was disappointed for him and the way he seemed to find out i know johnny herbert was speaking on sky sports and was ready to interview him after the japanese gp which we're about to talk about but because of what happened and the delays and the rain and the weather uh, even at that point he wasn't sure whether he was world champion I mean, does it matter really when you look back in history how you win it as long as you win it? I mean, considering the drama of the season before, this felt a little anticlimactic, but will he care? I think he will, to be honest, because this is the second year in a row that he hasn't had the normal Mm. winning experience. You know, like it went on into the wee hours of the night last year because they were investigating the the whole situation with the cars, not, not all the cars being able to pass and everything. And then this year, as you said, he had already done his post-race interview and then all of a sudden they were like, oh, you're, you're world champion. And even as he was sitting in the champion's green room waiting to go onto the podium, he wasn't convinced. Um, and that's I, I do feel like that's a pretty downer kind of way to to win, you know, the biggest championship of your sport. And it's just a shame that it's two years in a row now that he's mm. had this sort of lackluster celebration, you know. Might motivate him perhaps for a third stint, and who's the who's the bet against it when you see how good that that car is with Adrian Newey still designing it? Um, look for those who didn't see the Japanese GP. I mean, it was red flagged after the initial start after only twenty eight laps. Uh, you can take up the story from there, like, but it was elongated and quite difficult to, to you know stay motivated while watching it. So bad were the conditions. Should it have continued, Sarah? I think they really felt as though they had to make this happen. I think they were very much trying to avoid a repeat of Spa 2021, um, which is ironic because the the way they uh, kind of awarded the full points actually goes back to a direct result of that race or lack of race. Um, I really feel like the FIA felt they couldn't leave Japan without running some sort of race at this point. Um the poor fans had been soaked. You know, the race hadn't happened there since 2019. Red Bull had this, you know, had their deal with Honda. It, there was too much riding on it, essentially, for them not to at least attempt to make it happen. And they did after a fashion, but it was... I mean, I, I got up uh, in the wee hours to watch it, and it was... Um, it was not did not make for the best, uh, no. best viewing. And, and we'll get to the tractor, as you mentioned, but that sort of... 
that fueled the entire conversation, certainly online and on coverage as well, between, you know, during the rain delay and people were very angry, um, rightly so, about that scenario. Yeah, I mean, look, the conditions were the conditions. It's very difficult for people who hadn't seen it. Like it was torrential monsoon type rain mm-hmm. that was falling. It wasn't just ordinary rain that was falling. I felt it was very dangerous for the drivers. The drivers obviously felt as long as there was a safety car out there and there was a delay and, you know, the, t- the track had some bit of time to dry out as much as it could, but it didn't look like it happening at all. And when you drag this on and on, as you said, it becomes quite boring. You lose it all the viewers and it do- it's not a spectacle any longer. But you're right to go back to Spa in 2021 and the, the anger uh, of the fans with having that called off like so. I suppose you you can't really criticise and look at the end of the day. We had a world champion crowned in Japan, which is what, you know, as a result of whatever reasons. And uh, of course, Ferrari had to be involved in Charles Leclerc getting a, a last minute penalty, helping him over the line. I, I, that, that wasn't lost on me. I was ready to tweet, but I went, no, mm-hmm. I'm going to let it go. But the real, it's, it, it says something about the FIA, Sarah, when all of that, that should be headline news around the world. We've got a brand new, a retaining world champion uh, in Max Verstappen, dominant in a fantastic Adrian Newey design car, as we said. And yet, a tractor or recovery vehicle will dominate all the headlines. Can you just take us briefly through why that is the case and how ridiculous uh, and how scary it was for Pierre Gasly, the driver involved? Yeah, so this was all, I suppose, sparked by Carlos Sainz crashing out uh, very early on. And he essentially, the recovery vehicle had come up um, to recover his Ferrari, which is fine if it's dry and there's fine visibility and everyone is driving at the, you know, the red flag speed. So the, the race had been red flagged at that point. Um unfortunately, the tractor actually entered the racing line as the drivers were still passing it. Um, Not even just passing it, if you watch the replay closely enough, the tractor is already on the track when the lead car, Max Verstappen, passes it. Um, Pierre Pierre Gasly was catching up to the back of that pack um, and therefore the tractor was sort of most in the racing line by the time he got to it. And anyone that, that saw it, you know, you had to zoom in to see the lights on this thing. The spray was incredible it was basically zero visibility um and actually there was another video emerged where as Pierre Gasly passed uh, the Ferrari and Marshall was also in the middle of the track and had to jump out of the way um the tractor should never have been there the FIA proceeded to put the blame back on Gasly saying that he was driving too quickly under red flag conditions and would have been less shocked if he had come against this tractor more slowly um, the radio messages from the other drivers would contradict that all day long. Mm. Um, and I suppose for people that aren't aware, the reason that this was so um, traumatizing, really, particularly for Pierre Gasly and indeed Charles Leclerc at Spanakon, is that their fellow Frenchman um, and racing driver, Jules Bianchi, actually died in a very, very similar accident, almost um, a repeat of that accident uh, at Suzuka in 2014. Um, and it just seems like the FIA continue to not learn from the mistakes of the past. 
Yeah, and it, it's 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 a it's a relevant uh, topic to bring up and a, and a very good one to bring up because I'd actually forgotten um, as an F one fan, I, I openly admit I'd forgotten about Bianchi's death at Suzuka in twenty fourteen. And when you're watching again, Sky Sports have been fantastic for F one. They've wall to wall coverage. They've a channel dedicated to it. So you can't really argue with them. But I was really disappointed with their reaction that they didn't. All the drivers, one by one, as you said, came out and said, "This is wrong. You cannot have a tractor out in the middle of the track or a marshal in these conditions and expect you know." Again, Gasly then to, to point the finger at Gasly like it just felt like throwing pardon the pun but throwing him under the bus and I really felt from but I was delighted to see the drivers as one kind of coming together and criticising the FIA and criticising Suzuka for, for allowing potentially a death you know a, a, another potential death to happen in the midst of everything but it was just like let's get the race finished let's get the thing cleared it's the FIA all over again remember this is an organisation that held an F1 GP already this year and I won't forget it where there was a bomb landing about a mile away from where the circuit was mm-hmm. going on I shouldn't laugh but I mean you know I remember Lewis Hamilton saying it at the time you know he has a point you know what's it going to take uh, you know yeah. where where do you draw the line at some point when the driver's safety and everyone else's safety must become paramount and um, I didn't get any you know seeing it afterwards like you said I couldn't even a couple of times I rewound it and I was looking at it I still couldn't see the tractor and I was kind of going, if I can't see it on television here's a guy in a Formula 1 car you know a couple of inches off the ground I mean come on it was shocking absolutely shocking and it was just it really did it dominated the whole thing mm. you know kind of anything really that happened after that regardless of whether the championship was won or not felt almost irrelevant yes um and in a way it, it really tarnished you know the fact that the the championship had won had been won there because nobody really cared you know not mm. to you know not to put too fine a point on it but it, if it comes down to seeing a champion crowned versus a potential death of an f1 driver you know i think that is that is a, a sort of toss-up that shouldn't even be discussed um and you know i agree actually i was very very disappointed with the the analysis that Sky presenters gave, they were really backing up the FAA's decision to single out Gasly for speeding. He was in fact given a 20 second time penalty um, and two penalty points on his license (laughs) for it. Now he accepted, he accepted that punishment for driving too quickly under the red flags, but that is an entirely separate issue. And I was really disappointed with the way that Sky kind of ham- like hampered that. Yeah. Um, at one point, Ted Kravitz suggested that it may have been a language breakdown that caused this. And I just thought, you know, that's, it's no. just, I think that's not acceptable, um, you know, as a broadcaster to be, hmm. to be kind of saying those things. So it's, um, it was very disappointing. Very, very disappointing and, and very scary for them. Yeah, and frustrating. I think the real thing here is that, thank yeah. God nobody died, obviously, or got seriously hurt, but frustrating because I really wanted to spend you know, our segment this week talking about Max and we will at the end of the season we'll, we'll look back at Max in the highs and the lows and what a great driver he is and a great car there's four just before we finish up with the W Series um, there's four GPs left there's the United States there's Mexico there's Brazil there's Abu Dhabi I mean at this point I mean obviously every every point counts it's worth a lot of money to each of the teams but with Max you know he's going to be going flat out still already with the cushion of being champion but how important are these races for Mercedes and how important are these races for I suppose Ferrari too uh, when you look at it, Sarah, I mean, in terms of what they need to do and what those drivers need to do between now and the end of the season. 
Yeah, I think less so for Mercedes. I think they have already, you know, they've already said very clearly we're focused on 2023's car. Um, so I think they've kind of set their stall out. I don't think it will, you know, it's not going to make them drive slower or anything, but that's that's the reality of the situation. I do think Ferrari would love to pinch second place in the championship back from Sergio Perez. I think that's really important for them. Um, given the potential that they started the year with, I do think it would be an awful shame for them not to finish second. Um, so I think that's going to be their like absolute target. And I think for Mercedes, it's more so kind of, you know, doing the best job you can with what you've got until the end of the season. Very well put. Before we finish up, you have news of the W Series. Good news for Jamie Chadwick, um, but not so good news, so much for the remainder of what we hoped would be um, a, su- a successful W Series season. Yeah, so Chadwick has officially won her third W Series title. Um which means she's now won all of the W Series titles. Uh, but unfortunately, that was also teamed with the announcement that the remainder of the races for this season will not be going ahead due to a lack of funding. Um, they're essentially foregoing these races in order to focus on securing funding that's going to be sufficient to keep them going next season. So they want to focus on essentially securing the full 2023 season rather than finishing 2022. Um, Very disappointing. I think, you know, it's no surprise or no kind of um, news to anyone who follows women's sports that funding is much more difficult to come by um, than it would be for for male counterparts. And I think the fact that a series that now has teams in it that are also financially backing these drivers still can't survive um, with, you know, a very sort of limited schedule really for a season is definitely quite concerning yes and it is worrying as you said but hopefully hopefully that the investment will come along and the value of it and I think uh, will we'll, we'll reignite it hopefully for next season uh, W Series because it, it deserves its place on the calendar it's proven its point and if you can find a driver like Jamie Chadwick there's another couple of drivers coming up through uh, just because they're female doesn't make any difference why not invest in something that uh, I think would attract a big audience and a, and a growing audience certainly possibly in America and Far East first or probably just America and not, not so much the Far East but um, yeah hopefully we'll have more positive news on that the next GP obviously is the United States GP on October 23rd is going to be an awful lot I imagine uh, off the track that will happen between now and then we haven't even touched on uh, a potential fine for Red Bull uh, for uh, for, uh, flagrantly uh, as I can only put it uh, breaching their 2021 budget cap but uh, more of that and on perhaps next week Sarah for now uh, there's a lot of off track stuff and a lot of big preview of the United States GP to come next week's edition but where can we find you in the interim online and on social media yeah, so if you search Sarah McKenzie F1 on YouTube, you'll find me there. I'm MacTweets underscore on Twitter and I'm MacGram underscore on Instagram. As ever, our resident Big Red Bench and Corkshire FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie, thank you for your time. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Monster Women's Rugby chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the Big Red Bench to discuss a wide range of topics, including not the start that Munster clubs were hoping for in the new Women's AIL, a newly revamped Munster Women's League which started last weekend, increased women's rugby engagement in Munster schools, a new Munster youth competition that kicks off Saturday and Sunday, and finally, news of over 300 girls attending two Munster rugby mini-blitzes. Delighted to welcome back to the Big Red Bench the Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson, Wendy Keenan, to give us all the latest updates on both uh, club and interprovincial level for Munster Women's Rugby. Uh, Wendy, it's good to talk to you again. How are you? 
kicking off. Thanks, Jer. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. We're going to start, unfortunately, with the WAIL. I say unfortunately because it's been hard going for the two clubs that are up there at the moment. Uh, the opening couple of rounds of games have not gone their way. No, look, it's not It's not the start that our Munster teams would have wished for. Um, UL Bowes were defeated in their first two matches, but then they had a good win at the weekend. Um, they defeated Wicklow 24-7, and they have a match coming up this weekend, but it's a tough one. It's Black Rock at home um, at 5pm, and look, we saw um, a lot of tries being scored by Black Rock last weekend in the roundup. so um, look, fingers crossed for them in relation to that one. Um, Balancholic, unfortunately, started with three losses but they had three very tough matches I suppose on the bounce um, they had a draw um, against Malone last Saturday and I suppose look really that's one that they should have closed out they were 10-0 up in the last quarter of the match and with the last 10-12 minutes they conceded two tries so it was a draw gives them points and they are on the board now, which which is a good thing. And um, they'll have a rest this weekend because in the women's AIL, Malone exited the competition the week that it was commencing. So they have a free weekend to regather and rebuild for the following weekend. I would put it to somebody like yourself with the knowledge of women's rugby that we're still in the embryonic stages, the early stages of AIL and you know women's league establishing itself so you know disappointing negative results are, are to be expected but are we pl- trying to play we need to play the long game here Wendy in terms of establishing women's rugby on, on that plateau so we might see a few more defeats for the two monster clubs uh, as you said but look long term you're trying to establish the club you're trying to establish you know the league uh, you know as, as a viable league which it, it's going to be such as the interest but uh, am I right in saying look you know there's going to be a few bumps in the road before we get there you're you're dead right. If we look at UL Bowes, um, a lot of new players in there this season, like a lot of young talent. You know that we've seen at the under eighteen and a half into pro level, and they've moved up into the adult game. Some of them have the experience now of you know playing for Ireland at under eighteen. So that'll stand to them. But it is a jump um, going from your underage youth structure into the adult game at the women's AIL. So we're going to expect that. But look, I think you know that they'll come good. Balancholic, you know, they're they're working really hard and it'd be just lovely to see, you know, more points on the board for them so they get that confidence going forward um in scoring tries. But I mean they're defending really well if we look at their 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 matches and um you know they they'll have an easier ride now, I suppose, going into the rest of the league. So they have some of their first their their tough matches out of the way. Excellent stuff. Let's hope for uh, an upturn in fortune for both of those uh, clubs, as we said, in the women's area. We'll keep tabs on them as the season progresses, but as we did say also, it's early days. So, I mean, we're talking a couple of years here before clubs, you know, develop a pattern, develop a, plat- a platform and a foundation, but there's certainly uh, an awful lot of good people behind both setups uh, for that not to happen. So we wish them well in the coming weeks. Now, the Adult Munster Women's League started last weekend and in revamped uh, competition as well, which should make for some exciting rugby over the coming months. Yeah, so so we've 12 teams participating in the Munster League and it's a new structure, as you mentioned. So we've moved from our Division 1 and Division 2 into three conferences. And I just want to mention three teams in particular because they're new to the league this year. So we have Middleton returning after 20 years. It's 20 years since they fielded an adult women's team. And I hate to admit, I was on that team 20 years ago. Um, As a youngster, Wendy. As a youngster, youngster, yeah, as a young girl, I wish. But Mallow are um, fielding at adult level, as are NSA 
in Kilrush. So, look, it's great to see new teams coming in and, I mean, Ennis will want to build on their successes from the youth structure. And again, as you said, it'll take them a while to bed in. But some of the results um, that we have from those then, UL Bowes, second team, defeated Shannon 24-12, which was, you know, I mean, a very good result there um, in relation to that. The Skibbereen Kerry match is postponed, but um, unfortunately, um, Balancholic had to pull from their second team for their first team last weekend, so they had to give a walkover to Water Park. But we saw the experienced Thurlis take on Ennis um, Kilrush, and they defeated them 35, but a great match by all accounts. Um, Bantry Bay got, I suppose, the spoils over Middleton with a 43 um, 7 result. And then Dolphin had a great win over Mallow. So, um, week one over, and I'm sure they're all looking forward to week two and uh, to the matches coming up in, in the league. Absolutely, and just the fact that you mentioned those three, uh, those three newcomers essentially, even though the names are synonymous probably with women's rugby in the past, areas like Middleton, Mallow, and certainly Innes and Kilrush in those particular urban areas, if they get it right in the coming years, they have an opportunity to draw on a lot, a huge population in each of those areas that can sustain them in the future. So it's about just getting your feet wet, he said, using the cliche in the opening couple of seasons, yeah? I, I think it is and, and we've mentioned before about that step away from the youth rugby into the adult rugby and if we look back to the Interpros this year the whole province was covered you know every corner of the province we were pulling players from to you know to represent Munster there and it's really important that we have all those teams so that they have the pathway into the adult game um, so they're really it really is important that we're pulling more areas in in the adult game to have that that full pathway all the way through um, so yeah so it's exciting Yes it is and plenty of rugby to be played over the coming weeks and we'll be following it here on the Big Red Bench and we'll even get to talk to some of the members of those newcomers and clubs as well if we get a chance uh, to give them a bit of promotion. Alright we move on to something that is another explosion of interest when it comes to women's rugby and that's the schools. Lots of engagement over the last couple of weeks Wendy. Yeah, we would never have anticipated the level of engagement we had, you know, the first month back um September, 54 engagements in schools. Oh. And out of that, 23 were with schools that never um, featured with girls rugby before. So that's superb. The only issue is that we don't have enough staff, I suppose, on the ground to um, to spend enough time with the schools. But that's a good complaint. And, and hopefully some some more funding might come our way to, to help with that problem. But um, we had an under-16 tag blitz stay in Limerick. There were 16 schools attended. Eight of those were new to girls' rugby. And it was Colossed Eda and Dingle that took home that new sponsored trophy for that competition. So well done to them. At under-14, we had a development day in Musgrave Park for, for schools down the south. And then this week, we have um, three blitzes taking place. And they're for our X7s competition. So they're regional Blitz days in Cork, Kerry, and Limerick. One of them has already taken place, and I can tell you that there were over 180 girls um, attended the competition in Ballincollig already this week. So it's just like it's 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 mind blowing, really, when we look mm. at the numbers that are that are engaging. And I suppose the knock on effect for this will be we will have more entries in our Junior and Senior Cup, and we know what a great competition that was last year. So it's looking very exciting. It is, and it's great to see building on like the positivity of last year when you got this up and running. Like the fact that so many schools now are taking it on on board, and when you see a school like from Dingle uh, taking a, a rugby uh, trophy back, that sets the standard for the girls to follow them, and it keeps that interest and it keeps that momentum rolling. And uh, long, long may it continue. Moving from schools to youths, uh, the youths competition kicked off as well as or is kicking off um, in Munster very shortly. 
Yeah, so this weekend is going to kick off our youth competition. Um, and I suppose I, I might have mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. We were going to start in September. Um, and just the clubs asked us to push back the dates. So we just rejigged the season plan. And it's probably something we're going to look at going forward is starting a later plan and giving the coaches and the clubs a, a chance to catch up once all the, the kids are back at school. So at under eight, at under 14, we started on the under 14, we have 20 teams participating in the league and six um, participating in a development league. Under 16, we'll have 24 teams and five in the development league. And under 18 and a halves, we'll have 13 teams and five in the development league. So look, they're good numbers. They're up from last year. And the development league is now a new league that we've created on the back of the development cup competitions that we had last year. And I suppose we'll start with maybe blitz days and coaching days for those girls. Um, so there'll be full day activities. And then we we'll march that forward into to matches and, and hopefully get them into a development cup as well. Brilliant. We're really looking forward to the results that are coming through in those because I suppose we had such a great array of talent last season. Mm. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the results after it all starts, I must say. Yeah, it was a real plus point for you last year for Munster Women's Rugby in general, just to see the reaction, initial reaction, and to sustain that again. Now we've, we've been talking about adult Munster conference, we're talking about uh, schools, now we're talking about youths, and you can see as you keep mentioning that pathway, like the interest levels for girls, that there's enough games, there's enough quality, but what's clear also, I would say, Wendy, is as you've already mentioned, you're going to need more help to sustain these big numbers in terms of coaching and in terms of parents help you out. And we are very development. We are very dependent on the volunteers in the game. And I just want to mention, I suppose, you know, our regional um, development programs just finished in September with the Interpros, and now next week it's all kicking off again in, in the north, south, east, and west. And we are dependent on the coaches and on managers to help us with that. So we'll have players at under seventeen and at under eighteen. So we'll have two development programs going in each of the age, in each of the areas um, over the coming weeks, and they'll round off with matches before Christmas because we have a another Interpros um, for the youth at under 18 after Christmas. So look, the hope is that we'll have nice big numbers in our regional development squads in the four areas. Those girls will be exposed to a higher level of coaching and you know, I mean, uh, intensity of the game. And they'll take that back to their clubs and we'll see that those in the matches in the coming, coming weeks. Excellent. On, on that, I, I just want to add though, I want to thank the coaches um, there have been three workshops held um, to date for coaches of the female game um, by the women's development officers and we've had 84 coaches in attendance wow. so without them this wouldn't be happening Again healthy numbers because uh, I know from other sports Wendy that's not necessarily the case when you go looking for people to go on the coaching courses they know what they're getting into it's a, it ain't a one year job here now we're talking possibly for the most of their adult life that they'll be involved that's, that's great news I mean that must give you a huge encouragement Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm talking to my colleagues in other provinces where they're seeing a drop off in terms of volunteers mm. post-COVID uh, and I can't praise the volunteers and the clubs enough and the people that have got involved. And I suppose that leads us on, I suppose, nicely to the minis. Um, your your favourite um, subject, let's be honest, when it comes no, to the ones. I, I love seeing the young girls and I am going to admit it. Mm. But we had two blitz days on last weekend and if only they'd been held on Saturday, it would have been beautiful. <laughs> but unfortunately, they were both on Sunday morning and I think many of us were diving under the covers when we opened the curtains on, on Sunday yeah, it's morning. That's character building weather for those rugby players of the future. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But look, Cove RFC and Shannon RFC hosted two blitz days um, on Sunday morning for a couple of hours and we had over 300 girls in attendance. 
there was 157 girls down in Cove. I was at the Cove um, venue myself and just thank you to the clubs and the volunteers that they got on board, um, you know what I mean, for hosting those. And it's not just on the pitch, it's, you know, serving the teas and coffees mm. and the hot chocolates and the soups and the men that were out on the road directing traffic because, you know what I mean, that has to be done as well. So just thank you to both those clubs and to see over 300 girls out, you know, under eights, under tens, under twelves on Sunday morning is, it's just inspiring. And I suppose it just makes it all worthwhile when you look at, you know, the helicopter view looking down at it all. Yes, and uh, it's clear from even just our chat now uh, that we've just had across the board schools, youths at adult level now finding its feet, but at minis level as well. There are healthy numbers throughout Munster Women's Rugby, um, and it's all good. And it all it, it bodes well for the coming weeks when I think we'll have quite a few subjects to talk about. Wendy, I have a feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we finish up, I just want to congratulate Neve Briggs. Neve has been named as the head coach for the Munster senior ta- senior team, and um, Fiona from Ballincollig will be her assistant coach for the A's. So we have two Munster ladies, past players, but also AIL coaches, um, taking the taking the helm there for for that. And finally, I do want to wish Kira Griffin the best of luck. I think um, a lot of people have been watching her um, in Hell Week there over the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this week. Yes, Hell Week, for those who don't know, uh, the TV series on RTE where uh, celebrities and sporting stars are put through their paces by uh, some of the Irish Army's uh, most elite uh, sergeants, if to, to put it mildly. And this week's actually is interesting for me too because they're parasailing down my office block uh, in County Hall. So that's going to be interesting. Hopefully I left the window closed, but we'll find out anyway in that episode. Wendy, as always, uh, great to talk to you. It's clear we're going to have a lot to talk about in the coming weeks when it comes to Munster Women's Rugby. Fantastic to hear those healthy numbers and the game thriving. And we will talk to you again next week on The Big Red Bench. Thanks a million, Derek. Miss the show? Grab The Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Echo newspaper and echolive.ie columnist Linda Mellerick joins me on The Big Red Bench to review last weekend's SE Systems Corkamogi Senior Championship semi-finals. Sarsfields earned a hard-earned victory over Inniscarra. Defending champion Shandoon defeated St Finbars. And Linda and I also discussed last weekend's SE Systems Intermediate Club semi-finals in which Black Rock defeated Napiersig and Ahabulog got the better of Ballyhay. Thrilled to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench by Echolive.e and Echo Newspaper columnist Linda Mellerick to review two fantastic uh, SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Club Championship semi-finals at Ovens last weekend. Linda, you're very welcome back onto the Big Red Bench. Thank you, Ger. Uh, it's nice to be talking to you without uh, holding on to an umbrella or match notes being <laughs> soaked uh, or feet absolutely drenched. Those were the conditions that we on the sideline uh, faced last weekend. It's not that anyone cares about the media, but the two semi-finals. Firstly, I suppose the first thing to say is, yeah, firstly, well done to Airog, and I know I know you want to mention Ovens and the way they handled the the day and the way it was organised brilliantly. But um, credit to all four teams involved because considering the conditions, Linda, we got two brilliant semi-finals. We did. I mean, God, both teams really gave it everything, didn't they? They were real battles um, and energy sapping battles at that. And, you know, a lot of slipping, a lot of malaise, a lot of, uh, but I think the referees rested well. I think they, um, both of them left it go as much as they could. They allowed things play out as much as they could before, you know, having to throw it in really so that it didn't become dangerous. But um, yeah, I thought two excellent games. Um <laughs> You could nearly you could nearly say that the underdogs came out on top in both. Mm. In that case, um, certainly, 
I know Shandun are the holders, but let's let's be honest, everyone said that the bars this year, you know, were the team to beat, really. And uh, and then in the scarab probably would have been tipped to to, to to beat stars, you know. So um yeah, two two tremendous games and when both of them went out of the wire, which was and you know, and the second game in in particular, God, the tension in that game was <laughs> something I hadn't witnessed in a long time, you know, it was, it was tremendous stuff. Yes, because we were on the sideline for that. Shandoon edging the bars by one nine to not nine, but that only tells half the story because uh, a, a late, late uh, penalty to the bars. Kiva McCarthy's well struck shot was brilliantly saved by Amy Lee, and, and Shandoon held out. But it was a real pulsating game, end to end stuff. Very little between these two teams, I think it's fair to say, Linda. Um, but a couple of key players, I think, for Shandoon uh, turned up on the day and made a big difference. They did. Uh, you know, obviously, Amy Lee's penalty was, you know, you, you'd wonder, like Orla Cahalan was obviously advised, you know, when Orla Cahalan stepped up to take the, the first penalty straight after half time, you knew, you knew they were going mm. for a point. And you'd say, you know, I always feel you should go for it with a penalty, particularly that early in a game. But then people might say, well, look, it's early in a game, so we have time, We just let's just tap it over. Um, but... You know, they possibly took the Amy Lee factor into account and said, no, look, let's, let's just tap it over and, and, and narrow the gap here. And um, and then when Kiva stood up, obviously had to go for goal at that point. And, you know, a tremendous save in those conditions um, by Amy Lee. And, you know, out for the 45. And sure, then when the 45, when they won the free out from the 45, the game was over at that point. Um, but I think a huge point was... Um, Amy O'Connor's goal. I mean, yes, that that girl has been double marked and triple marked and you name it in this championship, and she has just been a revelation. I mean, her speed for that turn, pick, and and just strike was was just second. She that's the only chance she got in the whole game because the bars played so defensive, and yet she 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 got it and a massive performance. But I think all over the pitch. Shandun's work rate defensively midfield after you know for those players who lined out on Saturday as well uh, massive credit due to them still very surprised at how the bars lined out not so much how as to how they lined out but how they to me they went more defensive as the game went on um, and I was thinking afterwards and I said you're telling me that the likes of Kiva McCarthy or Sorker McCarthy or Jim O'Connor wouldn't have picked up a ball there around the 45-yard or 50-yard line and tapped over a couple of points? I, I believe they would have. But they just all played such a defensive role. And and in fairness, I thought the tactics from Shandun were excellent. They didn't go defensive. If any, you know, for, for a time, I thought they they went one-on-one and there was only three players most of the time inside the bar, inside the from the bar's point of view inside the opposing 50 metre line and yet Shandun didn't you know didn't pack their defence they actually pushed up more and more as the game went on and that pushed the bars back on the back foot and uh, I really have to admire um, Shandun's tactics on the day yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that, Linda, but I think it's fair to say as well, the Bars had chances. I mean, they missed a good few chances there in the second half when they did make those opportunities. And they also had that trump card of Orla Cahalan, who every time I see her, she just gets better and better. You don't want to blow up a player when they're that young too much. You know, you don't want to put too much pressure on their shoulders. But this this talent that she has, I mean, she finished with five points uh, on the day, but she won, I don't know how many free she ended up winning for her team. I'm looking, when I was looking back as well on the way home, I was thinking, look, the Bars had 
enough chances to win this. And I suppose they'll be kicking themselves, not about the penalties so much and the penalty over the bar, but the, the opportunities. And it, look, we have to take the, the, the conditions into consideration here as well. It wasn't easy for any pair out there. But did you think that they missed enough chances that they could have won this one? Absolutely, they could have won this one. I mean, there was nothing in it. Um, uh, but they got two points from Plager. Mm. And I and and the reason they won freeze is because, you know, particularly around the midfield and, and their own defence, like they did win a lot of freeze. And Orla won freeze. And Orla's a tremendous player. But two points from Plager, despite the conditions. I mean, if you told me that before the game, there's mm. no way I'd ever believed it. But, you know, and you have to give credit to the Shandun defence for that as well. Um, and... And that's why I kind of go back to the fact that they, I think they relied too much on Orla and Nicole Olden up front. Mm. They, I mean, and they did look very threatening in the first five minutes. I mean, they made two runs in the first five minutes and said, oh my God, Shanduna going to have one hour of hell here, you know, with these up front. Um, but, they, you know, once they didn't, once Shandun settled and the Bars didn't get an, an early couple of goals, um, things just I don't know I don't know what happened in the bars but they they seem to think that their moments would come mm. and that you know from their full forward line but they weren't coming and they and, and they kept they, uh, they they kept key players too far up the field I felt mm. um, and there's no way if you told me before the game that they were going to get two points in play you know not a chance uh, and that's what happened now on the other side Shandun only got one two but the, but, the, but the goal won it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it was a funny, I think it was a funny approach by the Bears. I look, we knew they were going to start that way, but I thought they'd push up. I mean, I've seen Kevin McCarthy in, in, in previous games, you know, push up the wing in the second half and really take the game to the opposition. That didn't happen. And Jem O'Connor was extremely deep, more than, I mean, more than she's normally been. As the game went on, I just felt they got deeper and deeper as the game went on. And uh, when they when they really had massive talent in that forward line to really take on Shandun, had they pushed further up, and they didn't, and they'll have regrets, I think, in that regard, absolutely. Yeah, it finished Shandun one nine to nine points, a really intriguing, proper Camogie Championship game, as I described it on the day. Um, we were spoilt a little bit here uh, in so far as preceding that brilliant game we had an equally gripping encounter between SARS and Inniscar and as you've written and both match reports from those exciting semi-finals you can find them on echolive.ie uh, written by Linda Mellerick there on the day but SARS edging Inniscar 2-11-2-9 ending Inniscar's magnificent run of county final appearances but thoroughly deserved for SARS I would say Linda Absolutely and, and I keep going on about the players they've lost this year so for them to reach a county final I mean let's be honest none of us expected it you know I mean the, their injuries you know, Katie Barry, who's an incredible fullback, you know, is, is in Dubai. And we didn't expect it. And, after, you know, they've come back from the dead in the last couple of games. And if they've never given up, they've showed a tremendous spirit. And look, you could say one or two of the goals might, 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 have, might have had a bit of luck to them. But, but you'll always get that. You'll always get a bounce of a ball, you know, in, in a semi-final or a final. And it's putting yourself in that position to get that bounce is, is, is key. And, um, you know, Keena Lynch, I massive credit to her after missing, you know, three scoreable frees by her standards and 45s in the first half to come back and, and really win the game for Sars. But all over the field, I thought Sars, you know, I thought defensively they, they, they were strong. They were hooking and blocking. Um, they cleared some great ball. Their full back line were very strong. And, you know, I mean, Aileen Sheen, 
you know, to be fair, she was very sick. She possibly shouldn't have played. She wanted to play. She obviously wasn't at her best, you know, but, you know, she did try her heart out for the hour and Sarah's nullified any threat she made. And, of course, they knew the brilliant Joanne Casey again, who still, to, in, to the last minute, tried to, tried, tried to salvage something for Inascara, uh, but just time ran out. So, you know, very impressed with Sarah this year, to be fair to them. And they're a young team. And they're an attacking team. So I think both Shandoon and Sars are two attacking teams. And I think we'll have a very lively final because of it. And I'm looking forward to it. I think that's putting it mildly. It's going to be more than lively, Linda. It's going to be full on from the first minute between these two yeah. teams. We'll we'll preview it in a, in an upcoming uh, podcast here or an upcoming discussion. But um, for now, I think uh, a lot to look forward to. Shandon, the defending champion, Sars back in a county final. It's going to be a cracker. Before I let you go, um, I know you haven't seen either team, but Black Rock and Ahabulog were tipped uh, to get to this year's intermediate county final, and they've both done that. Um, I would imagine, considering. Uh, the two favourites are in there we will be expecting an equally entertaining final in a grade that's very very difficult to call Yeah that's, that's a difficult one to call oh, people have said to me that our Bullock are, are very very good this year they were saying that to me from the start of the year you know our Bullock are there a while trying to win this but so are Blackrock and Blackrock have a fine evenly spread balanced team uh, you know um, you know, you, you have the big names there and the Haley Ryans and the uh, and the Caitlin Hickey's and them, of course, it'll be. We'll see. Will Rogine Defita be available to line out um, after suffering an injury to her ribs last week? Um, and then you have Cleena Healy, of course, and Emma Flanagan. You know, two key players for Ahabolog, as well as a, a very strong, you know, a pl- very strong player flanking them. So um, th- I, this will be a fierce. This will be a fierce game as well on the Saturday, the day before the senior final, um, and it's a hard one to call. And I haven't seen either team play this year. Um, at intermediate level, so I'm not going to to tip anyone of them because <laughs> I don't know. Because I don't know. All I know is that it should be a great game. Excellent stuff. Well, I won't put you. I won't put you on the spot and ask you that. But we will mm-hmm. talk before the senior final. We'll get a, we'll get a good preview of that and what's likely to happen. But for now, Echo Live that an Echo newspaper columnist. You can find all of Linda's writings on Cork Camogie uh, Club and intercounty level on Echo Live that and in the Echo every week. For now, thank you very very much for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. Thank you, Gerard. I was in ovens for last weekend's SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Championship semi-final doubleheader amid some awful weather conditions. Uh, a huge thanks to Aero Camogie Club for their hospitality and superb organisation to cater for both games on the day, and I have to say that. Uh, but at those games, I spoke to winning Shandoon manager Trevor Coleman, his captain Amy Lee, and star forward Amy O'Connor following their win over the bars. But first, we'll hear my after-match interviews with delighted Sarsfields Cleana Lynch, Claire Mullins and manager Tygoat Lynch, plus in the Scar manager Trevor McCormick. I'm joined here by Cleena Lynch and Claire Mullins, the victorious in uh, victorious Sarsfield team heading to a senior county final. First of all, uh, to Cleena, your two goals proved crucial today. Um, you must be absolutely thrilled. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely delighted. Like we worked so hard all year, and like this is our goal from the beginning. And I just thought, like as a team, we really gelled today, and like everyone just worked hard, and like the goals were a bonus, really. But it's just amazing. Uh, Claire, conditions unbelievably difficult for both sets of players. It was a real battle, especially in that second half. Yeah, absolutely. Um, weather aside, Scar fierce battle always have been since 2019. They've always put it up to us. Obviously, the weather didn't help, but look, we're glad to be on the other end of it now and looking forward to final in two weeks. 
Yeah, two weeks time to the final, but today you got a real test, I suppose. That's a real bonus for you as well, irrespective of who you end up playing, the Bars or Shandoon. You needed a test today, and by God, you got it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a real test. I don't think I've ever played in weather so bad between wind, rain, and absolute fight in the ground. Um, looking forward to it, yeah, yeah. Um, the physicality of today, clean as well. Like you had to really stand up today um, against a, a very battle-hardened experience, yeah. but also an equally fit team. How much will this bring you on heading into that final? Well, like so much because like we know how good Inascara is, and you know they've been kind of the top dogs for years. And like to get over such a hard physical battle with them, like it's really. Hopefully now we'll bring some momentum into the final and it's just brilliant. From a player's point of view, when you see the weather in the morning of a match like this, obviously your mindset changes a bit. You've, pl- you've planned other things during the week. It's just not possible, even though the pitch held up. How difficult was it just to get used to the, those, um, those conditions early on? Uh, it was difficult, but with the warm-up, you know, like we have our set routines, we were able to kind of judge then. And then we played Clodovin weather similar to this a couple of weeks ago, so we're no stranger to it, to be honest. Yeah. But um, it's not ideal, but, you know, we were told on Thursday night this was a condition, so you just have to get on with it. Okay, and Claire, from your point of view, as the captain, you're going to be leading a team out in a county final. It's a huge honour. Sars are on the up underage for the last couple of years. I've seen them at under-16 minor. Everything is going well at the club. How much of a bonus is it now to be in a county final? It's a huge bonus and look, I suppose that's true. We've been coming up for years. Our team is fierce young, but at the end of the day, if you want it enough, I think you can go all the way and we've had one goal, as Kleena said from the start, and is to get back and win the county like we did three years ago. And I don't think anything could stop us now, but a tough battle is ahead of us. We know, we know that. And just finally, a real honour for you to lead this group of players. Are they an easy team to be captain for? Um, you can be honest. Well, I have two sisters on the team, so I don't know about that now. But um, yeah, they're a pleasure. They're such a hard-working bunch of girls. We have a fantastic team behind us. But I'm absolutely delighted to be leading them out and no better bunch, really. Claire, Cleena, all the best in the county final. We'll talk to you then. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you very much. Uh, Ty Goldlynch, you are in a senior county final with SARS. First of all, congratulations. Talk to me about the effort that went into today's victory, considering how difficult the conditions were. Ah, well, the conditions were terrible. I suppose the only upside was that the game wasn't in Castle Road, so the wind didn't affect it as much. Obviously, the rain was quite heavy, but I suppose, as the saying goes, it's the same for both teams. But, look, there was a huge, huge effort went in from both teams today. Um, we were probably just got a little bit of the rub of the green there with a couple of goals that got us over the line in the end, so we're absolutely thrilled just to, to get past such an experienced team like Inescara. You need luck on days like this in such a tough, tight championship, and it was a real championship game. But Cleana Lynch, not just the two goals that she got, but her overall performance and her accuracy from freeze, you need that if you want to win a semi-final. Yeah, yeah you, you know, every team will tell you that you need a consistent free-taker. Cleana's been taking freeze since she's been under 12, under 13, and has always been consistent. And, and again, the last in the course, she was probably the difference between us winning and losing. And again, today, definitely, she, she stood up and... Uh, after a shaky start, missed two or three early on, but kind of regained her composure and drove on and managed to score the bulk of them after that. Um, just finally, from your own point of view, getting this tough a test heading into a county final is exactly what a manager wants, irrespective of who you play, the Bars or Shandoon, and you know what you're up against no matter who you play. How much will winning a game of this intensity, physicality, bring your younger players on? Hugely. I mean, even the Corsi Rovers game like, was huge intensity for us. And we're very young. We've had, unfortunately, we've had a few serious injuries, which have curtailed. We've four or five girls out through serious injuries. And um, a lot of younger girls have stepped up. And, you know, we are maybe down to bringing on under 16s, but good under 16s. So playing in some county semi finals, quarter finals, and obviously county finals can only make them better players and the experience. And beating a team like Inescara today, who I think that was going for their seventh county final in a row, to get that kind of scalp underneath, uh, behind us, will, will really, really stand to us in the final. Congratulations and all the best in the final. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks. Uh, Stephen McCormick, first of all, commiserations. Uh, losing out in a county semi final is never easy. Conditions played a huge role today, though. But how proud are you of your players and their efforts this year? First of all, 
yeah, very proud. Look, it's it's the first competitive game we've lost all year. So, um, but look, obvious disappointment. Um, you know, we, we probably just didn't get going really to where we would like to. Uh, huge disappointment, but you know, very proud of the players. The players have been immense all year. You know, since we've come in, they're just a, a super bunch. And look, you you can't win every day. And unfortunately, we weren't good enough today. So fair play to Sars. Um, yeah, those two goals from Clean and Lynch, the first one from a long range free, those things kind of happen on wet days. It's disappointing. Yeah, conditions are tough. And look, they're the breaks, you know. Um, like Sarah's got them today. Unfortunately, look, we, we, we've got them other days, and, and that's the way the game goes. So, look, um, yeah, it's there's not much we can do about it now. It's disappointing. So, it's and just finally, as you said, look, there's, there's still an awful lot of life in this and the Scarra team in this setup. There's a huge amount to come back for next year. I know it's early days, but the potential within the group um, must give you. Uh, a lot of hope for the future. Ah, yeah, this club is very strong. Like they're they're, they're doing huge work. Um, you know, people people underestimate us. They think we're an old team. We're not. Um, you know, we've a lot of really really good tough players. And uh, yeah, in the sky, I'll be back again, no doubt. Thanks uh, very much. No problem. Thanks, Joe. Amy Lee, hearty congratulations. Shandoon back into another senior county final. Your penalty save near the end was crucial. But how good a win was that? It was a great win. It was a great battle between both sides. Like with the weather and stuff, it's impossible to play. And look, score lines and stuff like, I know it's probably a low scoring game, but can't play in weather like this. And to be fair to the Bears, they put a, a mighty battle in. Um, but I'm delighted now we got over the line. We have two weeks now for, for a final. We have girls that are competing county finals at their own clubs as well, which is great. So we'll just look, we'll do what we can know over the next two weeks now. And hopefully we'll do a job against Sarah's in two weeks. Yeah, the conditions here today are really, really tough. You had to dig it out, you had to dig deep, use all that experience. But by God, you did it in the end. Yeah, and look, to be fair to both teams, I think there is very experienced players on both sides. Um, probably not the style either team wanted to play. I know their, their forwards are really quick, really pacey. Same with our forwards, probably slowed it down a small bit. But look, it was, it was just great to get over, get over it and win the game in the end. Penalty near the end, three points up, uh, being lined up. <laughs> What's going through your mind? Because it took a while to take it, but you made a really good save. Uh, look, she was true on goal anyway. I have a chance of saving a penalty if she got past me. I didn't have any chance. So, look, I took I took her down, gave away the penalty. And, look, there's always a chance of a keeper saving, especially these conditions. She struck it really well. It actually only came off the, the end of my hurley. I went out for a 45. Um, but I, I love the penalties. I love the pressure it brings. It's not, it's not only is a pressure on me, it's pressure on the taker as well. And it was, it was well struck. But, look, thank God I got the end of the hurley to it. Good stuff. See you in the county final. I'll see you then. <laughs> Cheers. Amy O'Connor, another county final, but my God, was that hard on Really tough conditions, first of all, and a tough opponent in the bars, but you got through in the end. Yeah, it was very tough out there, you know. I think both teams are very good hurling teams, and it was just a pity that the game fell on a day like today because I'd have huge respect for the bars, and, you know, we've obviously very good hurlers in our team, so we would have loved a, a sun-soaked pitch today, but unfortunately we didn't get it. And, yeah, look, obviously we're delighted. Um, we don't come together often, you know, but we're just blessed that we have some really good players. Um, but obviously, huge credit to the Bears as well. They're a great team. And, you know, some of them are my closest friends as well. And I'm gutted for them. But um, I'm just glad we're on the right side of that today. It's almost like a cliche sometimes. People talk about the togetherness of this divisional team. But you do, you act and you behave and you are like a club. Yeah, I suppose. Like, um, divisions are always tough. You kind of, you don't really know how, like, who you're going to have until the whistle is blown, essentially. Yeah, like, and, yeah. and that's genuinely the truth. Um, you know, Today we obviously lost Roisin Defita, who's a massive player and someone that I'd rate very, very highly. And I was at the match yesterday where she got injured. I was nearly crying when I saw her get injured because I know what the Bears can do. And you know, 
I was today it was a tough day for me as well, you know, I was making me land someone who I would hold in the highest regards and, you know, one of the best defenders in the country in my book. And it was a good challenge for me as well today for that. Um, and obviously it wasn't the best spectacle I'd say for, for you know the spectators no but it was seriously <laughs> gripping hard proper physical yeah, hurt camogie the way you liked it exactly yeah and I suppose look, divisional teams you know we wouldn't be known to have too much spirit Oftentimes, you know we just kind of happened to get together but I think we showed a bit of spirit there today and um, yeah we're just delighted now obviously I saw a bit of the Sires game and Sires are very good um, but we look forward to that and we look forward to that challenge congratulations well done thanks William thank you uh, and with the winning Shandu manager back into another county final, but um, I think you'd be the first to agree, Trevor, that that was as serious uh, an examination of both your skill and your character that you could have asked for from the bars and the conditions today. I think, Joe, we knew coming out here today it was going to be an examination of our skill, our character, and most of all our heart. Like these goals, what they've gone through the last two years for Shandoon, playing three games, two games every weekend, they showed what they want to do and what they want to do for Camogie. All they want to do is play games, OK? There's a myth out there that goals and boys can't play two and three games a weekend. This is proof in the pudding that if you want to do it and you're fit enough to do it and your attitude is right, you can go out and do it. Like the last year has been an honour to be with these goals. Like we as management on the sideline can only guide them as far as we can. But like unless they have heart and determination on the field, we're at nothing on the sideline. But they showed that in buckets today. I just could not be prouder of them. What they put in and the effort they put in. And four or five of them out there with niggling injuries from uh, yesterday. Amy O'Connor's shoulder probably half popped out there with a go. And to be fair to her, we asked does she want to come off? No way does she want to come off. That just shows the spirit in the camp and the determination in the camp. But look, to be fair to the Bears, they battled hard. We knew it was going to be a battle. They played a bit of a running game that we found it hard to get the grips with that to start. But once we got the grips with that, I think we did, we did very well and we did okay. But look, in conditions like this, Joe, as you know, it all comes down to heart and determination. And, and look, we, we had that today. Just looking ahead to the final, I know you've only, it's only a couple of minutes after the semi-final. Sars would have come through a similar test of character against an Iscar today, similar uh, conditions. They battled it out. It's going to be a very, very close final, whichever you look at it. Oh, this is going to be huge. And again, look, we're going to have a uh, Black Rock girls playing an intermediate final the day before. We're going to have some girls playing football. Uh, Bishopstone are still in, in the county, which is great for uh, for a division. So, like again, we, we won't pick our team till the day of the match, unfortunately. That's the way. Look, we know that coming into the senior county, that's what we have to deal with. But to be fair, look, every goal put their hand up today. Roisin, the defeat had to be fair to her. Look, got hurt her rib yesterday. But again, she hopefully will be right for the final. She's a, she's a huge leader in this part, you know, with her age and stuff. She killed me for saying, but look, we're there, John. We're there on merit, and look, we'll take uh, Sars. Look, we'll take them as it comes. I watched the game myself, they're a good side, and it's going to be tough. Congratulations for seeing the final. Thanks for being John. That's right, it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.